and I hope everybody appreciated being welcomed this morning when you pulled into the parking lot. It is kind of nice to know that people are kind of glad you're here, or you're glad you're somewhere, rather than not being happy that you're here. So we're happy that you're here. I want to talk to you today just for a few minutes about what to do when life is insane. Now, I, I don't know what you think of and what comes to your mind when you hear the word insanity. Uh, a lot of people I asked, you know, around this week, and some people said, uh, first thing they thought of was the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result, uh, different result. And a lot of people thought of that the first thing when they heard the word insanity. I, being the kind of person I am, thought about that great film in cinematic history, The Princess Bride. You remember the scene when Princess Buttercup is being kidnapped by Fezzik? and Inigo Montoya and Vincini, and the Dread Pirate Roberts is after them, and uh, Vincini says, he's too late, the cliffs of insanity. Do y'all remember that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Marlene's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, of course you don't. Just what I think of. Some people think of, like in legal dramas on television, when somebody is being convicted of something, their defense sometimes is temporary insanity. But I think most of the people, when, when you hear that word about insane, insanity, you, you think people use it like, well, how was your day? It was insane. It was crazy. And I understand all of those kind of definitions and those thoughts about the, that. But what, what do you do when, when life really does seem to be insane? The, the word insane comes from two Latin words that put together means unsound. What do you do when, when life, it doesn't even feel rational anymore? It, it, it seems unsound. It seems absurd. I was talking to a pastor just this week, a friend of mine. And by the way, the third pastor in Louisville speaking to me about this this month who said, Tim, I don't know if I can go on because things are so insane. He said, he said, I've got division in my church, and when I try to have people to sit down and talk, nobody can talk anymore. There's no rational dialogue. They just call each other names and, and, and then just dismiss each other. Nobody's talking anymore. It's irrational. And I don't think I can go on, he said. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you ever felt like that pastor that like like you just wanted to quit because life seemed insane or unsound what do you do when life gets there because it doesn't take a genius it doesn't take a prophetic gift to see that our culture appears to be going crazy I mean I'm probably not the only person who's pretty much quits watching the news because I sit there and watch it and go have we lost our mind so what do you do we're in this series of messages, and we feel like the Lord has spoken to us as a church this year that the word for us for the year is rise, that, that it comes out of Isaiah 60, that we're supposed to rise and shine for our light has come. The world is covered in darkness, but, but the glory of the Lord has risen on us, and, and we're supposed to shine. Well, how do you do that in a world that's insane? Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Psalm 34, and I want to talk about a psalm that David wrote at precisely that moment in his life. Now, I want to give you a little background as you're turning to Psalm 34. I, I'm sure that when you think of David, you think of different aspects in David's life. Maybe you think of when David killed Goliath, the giant. Uh, maybe you think of the fact he was a shepherd and a poet. Uh, maybe you were charismatic, so maybe you think about, you know, when he was dancing before the Lord. Uh, maybe you think of the fact that he was a king or that he sinned with Bathsheba. Maybe you think about the fact that he was betrayed by Absalom and there's that poignant moment. Uh, it, it's one of the most moving parts of the entire Bible when Absalom dies and David cries out, Absalom, Absalom, would to God that I would die for you. 
And every father knows that feeling for their kids. Maybe you think of one of those scenes, but I want to introduce you to another part of David's story, a chapter in David's story where it is quite literally insane. You see, from very humble beginnings of an obscure shepherd boy from Bethlehem, David was now a rising star. Samuel the prophet had anointed him as king. Saul the king had employed him as both a warrior in his army and a musician in his court. Goliath the giant had fallen to him. And he seemed to be on his way to the throne as king in what seemed to be a straight shot. But a funny thing happened on the way to the palace. Saul's jealousy happened. And with his jealousy, everything that David had been enjoying began to be stripped away piece by piece. First, he lost his job. He was a warrior in Saul's army. He was a court musician. And one day, he's playing his heart, right? He's just doing his job. He's playing his heart for the king. And Saul, in a rage, grabbed a spear that was next to him, threw it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. And David ran. Because sometimes running is the right thing to do. But in his running, he lost his job. Right after that, he lost his wife and his home. David, you may recall, was married to Michael, the daughter of Saul. And when David fled the court, he went home. And Saul went after him with assassins desiring to kill him. Michael helped David escape. When he escaped, Saul then took Michael and married her off to another person. So David lost his wife and his home. So he then fled to Ramah where he met with Samuel, Samuel who had been kind of a spiritual father to David, a mentor if you will. It was Samuel who had anointed David as king. It was Samuel who had assured him in his youth of things that young men need to be assured of in their youth, like God's presence with them, like God's call on his life. And so Saul chased David there too, and once again, David had to run away from the presence of Samuel. Not long after that, Samuel would die, so David lost his spiritual father, his mentor. From Samuel, David went to Jonathan, his best friend, who who loved David more than himself, who risked his life to protect David. One of the greatest stories of true covenant friendship in the entire Bible is the story of David and Jonathan, how they loved each other and how they took care of each other. And David and Jonathan, they had to say goodbye Because Saul came even there and never to see each other again. So David lost his best friend. Let's put it together so far. Let's recap. David lost his job, which was his position, his power, his income. He lost his wife. He lost his home, his spiritual mentor, and now he's lost his best friend. It's a lot of loss. But it's not over. Because... 1 Samuel 21, verse 10, it says this, Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, where he will lose something else again. At least he will lose it for a while. Because in Gath, in the presence of Achish, the king of Gath, he will lose his dignity, his sanity. Anybody remember who came from Gath? Goliath. So here's David. Get the picture. This is a weird scene. This is weird, right? Get the picture. David is now going to the camp of his enemy to try to find safe haven. And before you judge him too harshly, just remember, he had nowhere else to go. And in 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, it says, David was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. That kind of encourages me to know that that David got afraid sometimes too. Verse 13, so he pretended to be insane in their presence and while he was in their hands he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard 
Akish said to the servants, look at this man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of man? I got enough of these guys already. And it was precisely at that moment in his life when David had lost seemingly everything and was having to act insane in the presence of his enemy in order for his life to be saved that he penned Psalm 34. So let's look at the text. Psalm 34, here's what it reads. The superscript says, of David, so we know David wrote this, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. I want you to hear this psalm in that context as instruction for us what we need to do when life seems insane. There is nothing more practical you're going to hear all day long than what David wrote right here in Psalm 34 for the world we're living in today. This is very instructive for us. And just one more thing before we dive in. This psalm in Hebrew is an acrostic, okay? So it's like each verse starts with another successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, right? So it would be like A is for apple, B is for boy, C is for cats, you aren't playing very well right now. Okay, so back to the text. I almost lost the Holy Spirit right there. Okay, let's go back to Psalm 34, verse 1. Here's what he writes. Remember, it seems he's having to act insane. He's lost everything. Here's what he writes. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm really excited. All times? Like all times, all times? Like, like this time, David? When, when life seems insane? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. See, he's he's addressing you. If If you have some kind of affliction, he's saying to you right now, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. First thing, when life feels insane, here's the first thing you do. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, what, what does that even mean? Really? Because, you know, like if, I, if, you were, if you were struggling, if you were afflicted, and I came to your house today, and the first thing I said when I walked in was, bless the Lord, sister. How would you feel? I mean, you'd probably feel like, man, that's, you know, come on. Can you say hello first? I mean, you know, can we warm up to this, David? I mean, like the very first thing, bless, what does that even mean? Because it sounds religious, doesn't it? It sounds irrelevant religious. I mean, I remember when a ki- uh, as a kid, you know, growing up in a charismatic church, especially in the 70s, a lot of people would say, bless God. And I'd say, yeah, that's right, bless God. Don't have the foggiest idea what that means. What does it mean? Well, to bless someone is to speak well of them, to do something to them in a way that brings a positive state to them. It's to speak well of them. And so, and so you'll notice here the NIV actually changes it from I will bless the Lord to I will extol the Lord. ESV goes with, and the older translations say I will bless the Lord because some people say, wait a second, to say I will bless the Lord sounds like I'm giving God something. Like I'm going to change him in some way. And, and, and so a lot of people want to debate about this. Theologians want to debate this. Philosophers want to debate this. You know, is God impassable? Is he not? And there's this big debate over here. Can, can we actually bring joy to the heart of God? And, 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 and you know, we used to have the saying in seminary, uh, you know, you can take all the theologians and all the philosophers in the world, lay them end to end, head to toe, and they still wouldn't reach a conclusion. <laughs> but you know what? David in this song, he's not debating this. He's like, I'm going to leave the debate to the philosophers, to other people. I'm just going to do it. I will bless the Lord. 
I will speak positively about the Lord. And, I will, and, and, then, and then what we say is, oh, wait a second, David, how can you do that when you've lost your job, your wife, your home, your income, your spiritual father, your best friend? You've lost your dignity, and you're going to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. If you ask David, how can you do that? I think he would say, because it's not about where I am, it's about who he is. And that's why I can bless the Lord at all times. I can bless him in the morning. I can bless him at night. I can bless him when I'm feeling good, and I can bless him when I got a sore back. I can, I can bless him when it, everything is going my way, and I can bless him when it's not. I can bless him when the sun is shining, and my portfolio looks good, and I can bless him when it's raining outside, and I just lost money. I can bless him when my team is winning, and I can bless him when we're 5-10 and 10 in the worst record in the history of our team since I've been alive. We can still bless the Lord. Why? Because he is still God and he is still good no matter what the circumstances are. I'll just try to illustrate that with a story. In 1 Kings 20, there's a story. And, and you know how you read stories in the Old Testament and you just read, you, you, you know them so well that you, you just read over and sometimes you miss things. And then all of a sudden, one day you're reading it and something pops out. You didn't see it before. In 1 Kings 20, I just saw that this week. In 1 Kings 20, there's a story about how the Arameans are attacking the Israelites, and they're led by their king, Ben-Hadad. Not to be confused with Joe Hadad, who comes to our church, who, if you're watching this, Joe, we love you, we're praying for you, you're going to be back here soon. Uh, but Ben-Hadad w- was not related to Joe Hadad. He was a king of the Arameans, and they were attacking Israel, and they attacked Israel on the hills. And in the hills, Israel defeated them. Well, some of the advisors come to, to Ben-Hadad, and they say, here's the problem. The, the God of Israel is the God of the hills. We shouldn't attack them in the God of the hills. You, you don't attack the, the, the country whose God is the God of the hills in the hills, right? So let's get them next spring in the valley, and we'll attack them, and we'll defeat them in the valley. And so the king says, okay, so they wait till next spring. Next spring comes along, and, and, and God speaks through the prophet, the man of God, to the king of Israel and says, you go on down there to the valley, you set up camp there, and when the Arameans come, you attack them because I am not just the God of the hills, I am the God of the valley too. And listen, you may be here right now, and you may be like that, Listen, you may feel like you're in a valley right now, but you need to know you can still bless the Lord because he's God there too. He's not just God of the hills. He's God of the valleys too. And so we can bless the Lord. David goes on. He didn't say, I'll bless. He said, I will boast in the Lord. When people boast, what are they doing? They're talking about their great accomplishments. Right, especially politicians are, you know, they are talking about their record and they boast in their record and they're they're saying they're talking about their great accomplishments. Now at church we don't tend to do this, except about our kids. Right? Have you? How many people here? Raise your hand. Tell the truth. How many people here have ever been at a dinner party and the people you were sitting at your table couldn't talk about anything else other than their kids all night long? Raise your hand. Tell the truth right now. Many of you have been there, and and what did you want to say? Do not raise your hand on this, but did you not want to say, look, your kids poop like everybody else's kids, okay? So don't, you know, you wanted to say, but what happens? As an apparent, what do you want to do? You want to boast in your kids, don't you? I mean, when, when they do say, it's not even about you. You're just so excited for them when something good happens to them. You, you want to talk about it. You want to boast in them. I, 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 you know, 
when I was on sabbatical, uh, it was uh, Elijah's senior year of football. And he was playing for Mail, and they were doing really good, and they were ranked nationally, and they were winning games, and, and they were 14-0, and 0, getting ready to go to the state championship. And I was at the YMCA. This is back before COVID when I still had mojo to work out. And somebody, somebody asked me, hey, did you get a new suit? I'm like, no, I just gained so much weight, I can wear this one now again. <laughs> this is an old suit, but it's COVID for you. But anyway... I was there, we were, I was working out, and I was wearing a male football hat, and, and a guy came over, and he said, hey, you know, did you go to mail? No, my son's going to mail, you know, oh, they're playing the state championship this weekend. Yeah, they are, you know, really, what do you think about the team? I'm like, yeah, and then he goes, what do you think about that quarterback? And I had just said that, that week that I wasn't one of those parents that was always boasting about his kids. I had just said that. So I'm like, man, he has an awesome mom. That's, you know, like, that's, Yeah. And everything in me wanted to say, that's my boy. I wanted to boast in my son. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. That David is talking about here, I am going to boast in the Lord. In other words, I'm going to talk about the great things God has done. Because he has done great things. Listen, when life is insane, remind yourself of all that God has done that you know of. But see, the truth is, God's done a lot of things for you you don't even know about. There are times God has saved your life and you didn't even know it. Man, I think we're going to get to heaven and, and we're going to see times that God bailed us out and we didn't even know about it. And we're going to go, what? I had no idea. And God's going to go, right? I know. <laughs> but you can just start with what you know of that he's done for you. You can just talk about the goodness of God in creation, that he gives us the sun to warm us up and we got water to drink and we've got air to breathe. And every time we take a breath, it's because God gave it to us. And we can talk about the goodness of God in the cross, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us before we called out to God, before we loved him. He died for us. He shed his blood for us. And, and according to the scriptures, the cross is the perfect revelation of what God is like. I mean, when you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And when do you see that? On the cross, when he is being crucified, he's forgiven the people who hate him. He's loving the people who are spitting on him. And that's what God is like. And you can think about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection and the life that comes to us because of that and salvation and the fact that we're going to be with him in an eternity and the miracles of the kingdom of God and all of that. And you can boast in the Lord. It's like, i got to talk about how awesome God is. And man, when you start doing that, even in the middle of life's insanity, it changes things. Verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What is he saying? He's saying, don't just listen to what I have to say. Join me. Join me. When, when life feels insane and things are unsound in your world, it's not enough to listen to somebody else talk to God. You talk to God. It's not enough just to listen to somebody else sing to God. You sing to God. Because the bottom line is this. When life is insane, you choose your focus. You choose your focus. You, you may not have chosen your circumstances, and most of us didn't. I mean, sometimes we do. Sometimes we make mistakes and we're in circumstances and, and it's on us, right? We've made some bad choices. But sometimes we didn't. But here's the deal. If you're in bad circumstances because you chose it, God is your Savior. If you're in bad circumstances because you didn't choose it, God's still your Savior. And you get to choose what you're going to focus on. You can choose to focus on the insanity or you can focus on who the Lord is. I will bless the Lord at all times. Number two, David says, I will seek the Lord. He goes, 
from saying, I'm going to bless the Lord in a moment of insanity. Now he says, I'm going to give you my testimony about seeking the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And the word fears there is plural. Have you noticed this? When life feels unsound, fears multiply. When everything seems under control and it's going your way and everything, you know, wrestling with fear doesn't seem to be as big a deal. But when things are unsound, fears tend to multiply. And the Hebrew word here is not just fears as in concerns. It's concerns that terrorize the soul and occupy one's thoughts. You know what that's like? You ever wrestled with the fear that terrorized your soul and occupied your mind, your thoughts? He says, the Lord delivered me from them all. And then he takes his testimony and says, it's not just for me, it's for you too. Verse 5 of Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. This is powerful. He said, it's not just about me. I mean, here he is in this insane time. He's having to act insane to stay alive. He's lost everything, and he's boasting in the Lord. And then he's saying to you, the reader of the psalm, join me. Because those who look to him are radiant. If you'll join me, your face will never be covered with shame. And, and, and for some of us, that's kind of a hard kind of thing to kind of get our head around. And as I was doing some work on it this week, I discovered there's that, that whole phrase, their faces are never covered with shame, is like basically a Hebrew idiom. That meant you don't hide things from God. And ironically, believe it or not, the translation that best captures the idiom is the message. Now, the message should not be your study Bible, okay? Uh, but it's fun to read sometimes. And on this occasion, it actually nails it. The message says, Psalm 34, 5, never hide your feelings from him. In other words, when you, look to the, when you seek the Lord and you're just real with him and you say, here's how I am, your face is never covered with shame. He will receive you. When you come and just real with the Lord, that's when you find healing. Because as long as you're pretending to be somebody you're not, God's not going to heal that because that person doesn't exist. It's like, can you heal a mirage? Well, no, because it's not there. But as soon as you come and say, this is where I am, Lord, hey, God can touch that. Verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Again, he goes from personal testimony to applying it to you, the reader of the psalm. He said, this poor man, meaning himself, called upon the Lord, he heard, and he saved him. He saved me. And he's saying the same thing with you. Those who fear him, he will deliver them who fear him. Because what is he saying? David's going, listen, the testimony of what God did for me is prophetic of what he can do for you. Because if God did it for me, he can do it for you. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I love this. Taste and see implies there's an actual experience for yourself. This isn't just head knowledge, right, that you learned in a book somewhere. This is real life. Taste. Experience for yourself and see that the Lord is good. And you know, when, when you taste something, it doesn't take long for you to tell if it's bad, good or bad. 
Have you, have you noticed this? Like, I, when, when I was growing up, I, I remember many times when my mom would pull out like a jug of milk or something, and, and she would smell it, and she would hand it to my dad and say, taste this. And, and, and I just thought, you know, he must have a really refined sense of taste. Like you see these, you know, sommeliers or whatever on TV, and they taste a glass of wine, and they go, it's a Cabernet grape from the Napa Valley that was harvested when there was dew on the vine. Or something, you know, like some crazy with under hints of oak or whatever. You know, and they had these really refined, so I just thought, well, maybe my dad has a really refined sense of taste, you know. And he would taste it and say, you know, it's good or bad or whatever. And, and I thought that's what it was all about until we got married, and then at one point, Back when, you know, milk would go bad sometimes in our fridge. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. But uh, um, Marlene pulled out it. She smelled it, and she said, taste this. And I just thought, I guess that's what a man does. I mean, that's what. Uh. So I took a big swig of it. And, you know. Milk is not supposed to have chunks in it. It didn't, I didn't have to go. Is that good? No, it was. And, and it came right back out. Here's my point. When you experience it for yourself, it doesn't take long. If you experience the Lord for your, if you taste and see that the Lord, and you're not playing games, you're really tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, it won't take you long till you really will see He is good. Listen, when life is insane, just spit out whatever else you're trying to find nourishment in. Spit out the world's fare and taste and see that the Lord is good. So, so when it seems insane, you bless the Lord, you seek the Lord. David says, Here's, and this is important, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, verse 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What a picture. Because the picture I have of a lion is, nobody really tells a lion no very often. I don't think. I mean, I think they pretty much have whatever they want. But he says, lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And it doesn't mean we get anything we want. He's not saying, you know, God is a genie in a bottle or a lucky rabbit's foot, you know, or, you, you know, blow on your dice and, come on, Lord, give me an Audi. That's not what he's saying. <coughs> he's saying you have what you need to do life. You lack no good thing. If you fear the Lord, you have everything you need. Even in the world today that seems like it's going crazy, those who fear the Lord have everything they need. If you'll just fear the Lord, you'll have, doesn't, again, doesn't mean you're going to name it and claim it. It just means everything you need to live righteously, you have. To fear the Lord means you're more concerned about what God says and thinks than what humans say and think. And so I'm going with what God says. <clears throat> no matter what you guys say about it. That, that's what it means to fear the Lord. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a lot of fear of my father. Because I don't know. I mean, if y'all just came to New Life in the last few years, you know soft Pastor Carol. <laughs> but back in the day, he was a little bit tougher. Okay? And I remember as a kid, you know, like back, there used to be this thing, and some comedian brought it up, uh, you know, where he's talking to his son, and he said, son, I brought you into the world, and I can take you out of it. I can't remember who that was. It was somebody, you know. 
and, and like now that's a joke. In the 70s, they were serious about that. I will take you. I totally believed it. But do you know what that did? That protected me, actually. Because on more than one occasion, I would be around some friends who would try to get me to do something wrong. And I'm like, listen, I don't think so. And on one occasion, I remember, this is not in the 70s, this is in the 80s, where I was in a place where somebody was smoking a certain substance, and they were like, you're going to do it with me. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that with you. And they were like, man, you're going to do it with her or else. And I remember looking at them going, dude, I am way more scared of my dad than you. <laughs> because, you know, you might beat me up, but he might kill me. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but only a little bit. Here's the point. Because I had more fear of him, it kept me from doing something else. When you have the fear of the Lord, it means you won't be controlled by human opinion. And it sets you free. Fear of God means you don't fear man. Jesus said in Luke 12 that don't fear people because what can they do? They can only kill you. If you'll forgive a second quote from the message. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 says this, Don't be bullied into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you, but then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body, and soul in his hands. What's the point? When life is insane, don't fear humans. Fear God. You say, well, what, what, what does that look like? Well, David tells us, verse 11, Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Right there, David tells you what it looks like to fear the Lord. Here's what the fear of the Lord looks like. You speak what is true, and you pursue what is right. You, seek what, you speak what is true, you pursue what is right. Don't speak lies, don't believe lies. And what do we have going on in our world today? We got people who will say a lot of weird, wacko things out there. Because they don't fear the Lord. Now, here's the deal. When, you, when we're talking... We don't just do the same thing except on the other side. No, we have the fear of the Lord. So we speak what is true. We pursue what is right. What is that? And he says, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. That's what it means to fear the Lord. When people are not out, you know, when people are just want to get in a fight and they want to beat people up and they want to put people down and they want to call names and they want to yell and they want to curse people, it's because they're not fearing the Lord. Because according to David, the fear of the Lord looks like what? You're pursuing peace. You're doing what is right. So when, I knew that wasn't going to go over really well when I said that. But I'm just saying what the text says. When life is insane, bless the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord. And number four, and yes, friends, we have a fourth point today. Trust the Lord. Bonus point Sunday. Trust the Lord. Bless the Lord, seek the Lord, fear the Lord. Trust the Lord. The eyes, look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, 
and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Now look at this. He mentions the Lord's eyes, his ears, and his face. Why should I trust the Lord? Because he sees, he hears, and he will deliver. See, he's not ignorant of anything you're going through right now. Whatever it is you're going through, he knows about it. He's not surprised by what you're going through, and you can trust him. In fact, verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, if you're here today and you're brokenhearted, you can trust the Lord because he's close. He's close to you right now. And I want you to notice, this is not a conditional promise that you have to claim. You know, there are some conditional promises in the Bible where God says, if you do this, then I'll do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal the way. That's a conditional promise. This is not a conditional promise. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It's a fact. Whether I feel it right now or not, it's true. Look at verse 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. <laughs> I, really, I love how honest and raw and open David is here. And this is wonderfully comforting. Because I think for some of us, we think if you're living in a righteous way, if you're following the Lord, then you're not going to have any troubles. Even though Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I mean, that's pretty clear. Jesus said that. David says, a righteous man not, might just have trouble. He might have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And the word delivers happens four times in this psalm. So I, I don't know. Maybe is there somebody here who feels like they have many troubles? I mean, is there somebody here who feels afflicted? David knows how you feel. righteous man may have many troubles but the Lord delivers him from his all from them all verse 20 he protects all his bones not one of them will be broken evil will slay the wicked the foes of the righteous will be condemned and look at the last verse verse 22 the Lord redeems the word means to ransom it means to rescue from great harm the Lord redeems his servants no one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. And here at the end, we get to the end, David prophetically and unmistakably points us to Jesus. Because John chapter 19 quotes this verse, Psalm 34 verse 20, as a prophetic reference to Jesus. Not one bone will be broken. And in so doing, he's suggesting that this psalm finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He's the one who redeems. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. That's the way Jesus said it in, in John chapter 3, verse 17, the verse after the most famous verse in the Bible that you see at all football games, or at least you used to when there were crowds there. John 3, 17, for God did not, this is Jesus speaking, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You see what's happening here? David is saying, the Lord redeems. 
He ransoms, he rescues his servants, and Jesus is saying, that's me. I'm the one that came to be your ransom, to rescue you. David said, no one will be condemned if they take refuge in him. And any Old Testament Jew who hears the word refuge, their mind immediately goes to the Passover. In the Exodus, when the children of Israel are going to come out of Egypt, and in the last, you know, the, 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 it was the tenth plague, that was the last plague, it was the death of the firstborn, the death angel was going to pass over, and they were told to slaughter a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost in their house, and they were to take refuge. They were to shelter under the blood of the lamb. And in sheltering under the blood of the lamb, the death angel would pass over. Well, Jesus is saying, that's me! I am the Lamb of God. And at the very moment they were slaughtering the Passover lamb in the temple outside the city gate, Jesus was dying. for our, The Lamb of God was taking away the sins of the world. And anyone who takes refuge under him will never be condemned. When life is insane, your greatest hope is to refuge, to shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And I like to challenge you to do something this week I'd like to challenge everybody here to to meditate on this psalm this week I understand you probably have your own devotional schedule and that's great but but I'm, I'm going to ask if everybody would just take some time this week at some point and meditate on this psalm read through it maybe maybe you may feel led to memorize certain portion maybe memorize the whole 22 verses maybe maybe just you don't want to memorize it, you're just going to read it every day, whatever. But do more than just see it. Read it, say it, believe it, let it in on the inside of you. That when life is feeling insane, you're going to bless the Lord at all times. You're going to seek the Lord. You're going to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. Would, any, would anybody, I'm just asking. Would anybody be willing to do that this week? Would you be willing to read the psalm? And would you just raise your hand if you're willing to? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'm, I'll meditate on that this week. We had the testimony about the power of God's word to transform us. And, I, and I'm asking you as, as a church for us to, to just take this week and meditate on this. One last thing I want to point out about the psalm now that we've gotten to the end and it points us to Jesus and we're looking at Jesus. Did you notice as I read it? There wasn't one mention of Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. Everywhere he goes, Saul comes after him, sends assassins after him, trying to kill him. He doesn't mention Saul one time. You know, he doesn't say, hey, I want you to know, I lost my job, I lost my income, I lost my wife, I lost my home, I lost my mentor, I lost my best friend. Never mentions it. But what he does mention over and over and over and over again is the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I'm going to boast in the Lord. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. Because today and, and in the days in the future, days to come in our country, I think there's going to be some insane times. And the answer that we need, the deliverance that we need is not in the circumstance. It's in the Lord. 